please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. And uh, we're looking at chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and we're looking at verse 17, continuing to look at how a leader can love the church well. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word in Acts, 7, uh, Acts 20, starting in verse 17. For Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day I came to Asia, what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin to look at uh, the issue of motives, why we do what we do and see the, the choices that motivate a godly leader, uh, Lord, I pray that we would in whatever position of influence you've given us, seek to be motivated by the right things. And Lord, as we do, our joy will expand and your glory will be spread to the nations. We often get distracted. Lord, bring our focus back to Jesus. We ask in his name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so we're looking at five ways we can, uh, specifically, leaders can love the church well. Now, this is also how we, as just church members, can also love the church well. There's some things that are unique to church leadership, uh, some specific uh, responsibilities given to leaders that give them a, a unique um, opportunity to love. But these are still ways in which we can all love well, and we ought to love our church. It's, it's just the people of God. It's Jesus' people, right? <laughs> and uh, we love his people because we love him. And um, so we've already had a chance to look at the leader's uh, manner. He's to have Christ-like character, humbly serve, and even suffer for the spiritual health of others. Uh, that's our goal, uh, not to get, but to give. We also looked at his message, and we learned that leaders are called to teach all of God's word to all people, all the time, with all their heart. <laughs> a lot of alls, but that's exactly what we've been called to do. And so now, uh, this morning, we're going to look at the leader's motives, okay? The leader's motives. And this passage gives us four choices that motivate good leaders. We're not going to look at all of them this morning. Uh, we're just going to look at one this morning. And this is it. Good leaders choose ultimate eternal joy over happiness, okay? Ultimate eternal joy, and we could say over mere happiness, or temporal happiness, um, or we might even say the word easy happiness, because honestly, isn't that what our hearts often crave? I just want to be happy, and I want it to be an easy path to happiness, Lord. 
But being a leader means that you're willing to choose a harder path because you see something greater at stake. You see something greater uh, as a purpose. And so you have two choices to make, an easy path, which may lead even to a human sense of success, or you choose God's path, which is difficult, but it is so much more valuable. And the results are so much more eternal. So we're searching for ultimate eternal joy over happiness. Uh, There's a quote, uh, hopefully that writing is not too small, Uh, but it's actually from a book called Dangerous Calling. It's um, written for pastors, but I think this, this is true for every person, okay? Uh, every one of us can look at this and I think understand that this is where our hearts sometimes go. He says, I'm convinced that the big crisis for the church of Jesus Christ is not that we're easily dissatisfied, but that we are all too easily satisfied. We have a regular perverse ability to make things work that are not and should not be working. We learn to adjust things that we should alter. We learn to be okay with things that we should be confronting. We learn how to avoid things we should be facing. Like sick people who are afraid of the doctor, we collect evidence that points to our health when really in our heart of hearts we know that we are sick. So we settle for a second human best when God and grace offer so much more. This is not the easy path, but it is the right path. It is the good path, and it's the one that leads to eternal, ultimate joy. So let's take a look at that. I just want to look at three different ways in which we can view joy as believers so that we can choose joy over what is easy. Now, some of you are saying, you're looking at your Bible, you're looking at me, you're looking at your Bible, looking at me, and you're saying, um, my Bible doesn't actually include the word joy in there. How many of you, it's, your Bible does not have the word joy in, uh, it would be like verse 24? Anybody? Okay. If you have a, if you have a New King James Version, King James, it'll, it will say joy. Uh, some do not. Don't let this bother you. You're saying, wait a minute. If that word's important, why isn't it in all translations? There is some minor variations in uh, all the texts that we have. By the way, you know that we have over 5,000 manuscripts available to study to make sure we understand what God's Word says, or should say what God's Word is. Now, they do have slight variations, and some have uh, the word joy and others don't, but don't, don't let that bother you, okay? Because what we know is if you read this whole passage, do, do you get the feeling that Paul had joy in what he was doing? <laughs> That fulfilling his ministry brought him tremendous joy. Yes, there, very much so, it's the, there's a sense of duty that God called him to a ministry that he must fulfill, that I may run my race. But he does so with joy. And I think it's very important as you look at this, and not only this passage, but so many other passages where Paul describes the joy that he was getting from ministering to other people. I think we would understand that joy is a big part of not only the Christian faith, but it's a big part of ministry to others. I mean, really, the essence of being a Christian, uh, well, let me start with this, okay. Oh, those weren't supposed to come all up at once. Sorry, that is a typo on my part. Okay, well, you guys, you just have to follow along. Don't let your minds wander ahead, okay? Just stay with me. But we should serve by joy. Serve by joy. What do I mean? Is we are serving the gospel of grace, 
God's mercy and goodness. And if that doesn't bring you joy, something's wrong with your, your joy meter. Something is wrong with your fountain of joy. I mean, the essence of being a Christian is experiencing ultimate eternal joy in Christ. And that's what glorifies God. Uh, I think so many times, and, and hopefully you've caught this from me if you've been here any length of time, how important I think joy is in Scripture. It's a very important part of our motivation as believers. Now you say, yeah, but we should do it for duty. That, that is mentioned in Scripture as well. I'm not dismissing that. But if you look, joy is such an important, essential motivation for us as believers. And what we find is this that God makes a big deal of joy because God is glorified in our joy of Him. You see, God, being the fountain of all joy, gives us joy, and then when we rejoice in Him, the giver of joy, that's when God is most glorified. And so, it then certainly follows that if we're ministering to people, joy ought to be a major motivation in serving other people. It makes God happy when we see that he is the foundation and the fountain of continual joy. Ministry really is an outflow of gospel joy. And really what I consider ministry to be is the ministry of spreading joy in Jesus to others. That's what I think evangelism is. We experience fullness of joy in him, and then we spread that joy to other people. And joy is highly contagious, a lot like chicken pox, right? <laughs> uh, Sometimes when uh, kids were small, and probably this is looked down upon now, but uh, when we would say, listen, we just want our kids to get the chicken pox and just get it over. You find out some kid has chicken pox and you say, we're having a play date. We're just going to get it over with. Get your kids all around them. They get the chicken pox and it's just done. And uh, now that's probably, I don't know, people may not see that as being such a positive thing, but it's kind of like, it's going to happen. Just get the chicken pox, get it over with. And because uh, it's highly contagious. Uh, I believe joy is highly contagious. Uh, you read books like John, the Gospel of John, and, and first, second, third John, you see a lot about joy in there. Why? Uh, because God is glorified when we find joy in Him. And when we have joy, we spread that joy. And that is really, again, what evangelism is all about. But here's the problem is if you're not experiencing joy in Jesus, you're never really going to spread joy in Jesus. Uh, the fact is, is that if we ask ourselves, would other people want the kind of Christianity that I have and the kind of joy that it brings to me, um, or if other people see the, my joy in the gospel, would it be something they would want? Or to be like, you know, you are the most miserable Christian I have ever met. Uh, there's no joy in your life. Well, people don't want that. Um, and if you're not experiencing joy in Jesus, then it's something that ought to really matter. Uh, I, I'm surprised, you know, like as they, uh, Paul David Tripp mentions, that we have this perverse ability to just realize we don't have joy in Jesus, and we just let that, let that continue. And he's like, no, that's not okay. It's not okay with Jesus. not okay, shouldn't be okay with us. And let me tell you, whether it's uh, marriage difficulties, relationship, other relationship difficulties, child training, other relationships at work, uh, or work itself, you name it. Um, Satan is trying to get us so focused on uh, the, the issues and the problems and the brokenness of this world that we don't meditate on the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And so what I say is this, if you're struggling 
you have to go back to the fountain of joy. We have to remind ourselves, God, who loves me, is working out his good purposes in my life. He will never abandon me, but will walk with me so that the tougher my problem is, the greater the difficulty, the greater his presence will be felt in my life. So listen, if you're saying, listen, I just have no joy, don't be okay with that. <laughs> Say, there, there is something wrong because he says he's come to give fullness of joy. If I'm not experiencing that joy, there's something broken in my life. Now, we live in a broken world that wants to constantly rob us of that joy. I get it. But the fact is, is Jesus never said, hey, I'll give you fullness of joy unless things are really bad in your life. He's promised us fullness of joy. And listen, it's your birthright. You ought to expect it. You ought to, to say, Lord, I want nothing less than fullness of joy in Jesus. And I, I am fully convinced that the more that people will attack or abandon us, and this is what I've seen in my own life, the more I feel attacked and abandoned in my own life, the closer I feel to Jesus Christ, the more I feel his presence. So that even those moments are not God turning his back on me. It's not an evidence that he doesn't love me, but rather it's an evidence that he genuinely loves me and wants to have a deeper relationship with me. And it's experience of his love for me that motivates my love for him and for others. The reason why Paul was able to do the extraordinary things that he did was not because he was an extraordinary person. It's because he had an extraordinary Savior who worked extraordinarily in him. And he was able then to take the joy he had in his life in Christ Jesus, and spread that to others. If you have your Bibles, would you just turn with me real quick? Put your finger there. We'll come back. But uh, turn over the book of Revelation in chapter 2. And, and uh, already in advance, uh, Brother Greg, I'm going to apologize for not doing as good a job at uh, covering this passage that I'm sure you have in your uh, uh, good study of Revelation. But I'm going to just bring out something that I, wanna, I think is important. Uh, Revelation 2, 1, he's talking to Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, and they were known as the loveless church. To the angel of the church, and this is verse 1, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these things says him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your work, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Uh, you would say, boy, this church, look at the accolades. I mean, morally speaking, doctrinally speaking, they got it right. They did the right thing. And this is the person, who, the person who's saying this is Jesus Christ himself, saying, I see your works. I know what kind of church you are. And the fact is, is morally speaking, you do the right thing. Doctrinally speaking, not only do you believe the right thing, but you won't tolerate people who don't believe the right thing. You make sure and don't allow false teachers. You've persevered. You've had patience. You've labored for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. I would say, close the book. This is like A-plus church, man. This is the kind of church I want to be part of. And then he says, nevertheless, I have something against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you also have, you hate the de deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he ends with a commendation as well. But there, there in that verses 4 and 5, we see something very telling. He says, you're a church that gets so much right, but you're missing something that is so integral that I will come and take your church out of existence if you don't correct the problem. And that's this, 
you have left your first love. And I always wondered about this, by the way. Left your first love. I'm like, okay. In one sense, you would say when a person gets married, you know, you have that, you know, the, what they call the honeymoon phase. It's just like, oh, you're so in love. You've just been married and everything's perfect. And then all of a sudden you start realizing that other person isn't perfect. Matter of fact, they got some real issues. And not only that, I have issues. And, you know, we've got some problems here. And, and, and there's kind of this honeymoon phase where it's like, oh, there's, there's this deep, you know, love, and there's this the newness of it all, and you guys are, oh, you know, they, they stare at each other from across the table, sipping their milkshake, you know, sipping out of the same milkshake thing, uh, ick, right? No. And, and they're just like, oh, they have stars in their eyes and their gaze and all this, and, and everyone's like, ugh, right? No, but it's beautiful. And, uh, and then, you know, they, the, the old kind of trope is, uh, oh, then you get, after a while you've been married, and, and then, you know, then it, it, the old man and old woman is like, ah, go get this for me. You know, they kind of lose that passion for each other. And I thought, but really my experience is, yes, that's true, you know, the first part is true, not the second part. <laughs> uh, yes, there is like stars in your eyes. But what I find is as you go through life together, you build something that isn't just a passing fancy. You build this deep-rooted love for each other. This, this, that it stands the test of time. Instead of pulling you apart, it draws you closer together. And you have a deeper appreciation from that person. You thought, I didn't even know you when I married you. But now that I know you, I love you more than I can even imagine I could love a person. You know, there's this deep root. I thought, so God, why in the world would you say, go back to your first love? You mean kind of like the stars in your eyes, Dave? I don't think that's what it's saying. I, I think it's not saying the, lo the love they had when they first got saved. Now, certainly, when you first get saved, there is this overwhelming, effervescent joy. Like, I just can't believe this. This is amazing. And you're excited and all this. And sometimes we begin to struggle over time with having that same newness and, and effervescent joy in our, in, our, uh, in our Christian faith. But this is what I think. I think it's not saying the thing that when you first got saved, but at the beginning, when you first got saved, you started growing in the Lord. And you did have that deep-rooted love, not only just the, oh, it's all brand new and so amazing, but that deep-rooted love for Christ as you began to get to know him through studying the word of God and through the preaching of God's word. But somewhere, it's not saying that which was at the very first point, but that which was near the beginning. And so they had this deep-rooted love, but what happened is this, life got tough. And they stayed faithful. They're like, we love God, and we're going to stay faithful. And they kept on hammering it out, and they kept on fighting against false teachers. And they began, they loved, and they, or they, excuse me, they served, and they gave. But what happened is it became mechanical. And, and I think this happens in a Christian's life. There are stages of growth throughout our life. And at that stage, we grow, and there, it's excitement as God grows us to that point. But it's very easy when we get to that spiritual level, so to speak, of maturity, for us to easily start becoming mechanical and cold in our, in our love for God. I think what he's saying is this. Whatever spiritual level you're at, at that point, passionately pursue knowing Christ. Don't ever get to a certain point where you're like, we're doing pretty good right now. <laughs> and the fact is that sometimes just because the harshness of life and just the weariness of battling against the world of flesh and the devil, we can just say, we, we hack it out, we get up and we do it day after day. But the, the, the passion we have for knowing and loving Christ more just isn't there as like it used to be. 
And so I think what he's saying is wherever you're at in your spiritual growth, be on guard against falling into just doing it because you're supposed to do it instead of doing it out of love. So that tells me something. How important love is as a motivator for doing the right thing. Can I, can I say it this way? It's not enough to do the right thing. We do the right thing because we love Jesus and active faith. And it's very easy to say, but if I do the right thing, doesn't, doesn't that mean I love, love him? No, sometimes we just do them because we just know we're supposed to do them. It just becomes duty. It just becomes cold and mechanical. Richard and I were talking about sometimes, like even in your Bible study in the morning, say, I know I need to get up and study my Bible, but your mind is wandering, it's not there. And, and you're like, oh, I'm just not getting as much out of it. Why? Here's the thing is, we have to go back to why am I doing this? Because I want to know Christ and his love for me, and I'm going to grow in the experience of that love so that my love for him and others grows too. And this passage is saying, this is a non-negotiable there is no just do it out of duty. It always has to be motivated by love for Christ. Now you say, yeah, but that doesn't mean if I don't feel like loving Christ, I should go out and just be awful that day? No. Sometimes duty becomes like guardrails that keep us from veering way off the path. But don't be okay with that. Don't be okay with just saying, okay, I'm, I'm just going to phone it in today. <laughs> uh, it's not going to be real. Don't, don't be able to say, Lord, there's a problem in my heart. If that love isn't getting deeper for you, then something's wrong, and I want that to change. So joy in Jesus becomes that powerful motivation. I am finding deeper and more expansive joy in him. So if you're struggling with your relate or with your Christian service, if you're if you're struggling in your time of prayer and struggling in your time of studying God's word, don't be okay. Say, I got to get back to the fountain of joy. I have to refill my cup day after day because it will quickly get empty. Keep in mind that he's given us all the spiritual resources, not only to survive, but to thrive. All the wisdom, all the power, all the endurance that we need to not just make it, but to grow through it, all through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to start with saying, listen, I just find joy in the gospel, the good news that I have a relationship with God and Christ Jesus through faith in Jesus Christ. And say, if I am not having joy in that relationship Something is wrong. It must change. I cannot continue. Man, I sometimes wonder, I'll say this, I'm ashamed at how there have been times in my life where weeks would go by where I really didn't have any joy. And I just was content just to make it. I'm thinking, God has offered me so much more in Jesus Christ. Why in the world would I be okay with that? But you see, a leader realizes that the only way we can serve others is that we experience deeper joy in Jesus. And so we're constantly looking for that deeper joy in Jesus Christ. But not only should we serve by joy, we rejoice in Christ and the gospel, and that becomes our motivation, but we should serve for joy. What do I mean by that? 
who gave us this ministry? Who calls into leadership? Who gives you spiritual gifts? Who puts you in the place where you're serving? Who gives you the wisdom and the strength to serve? It's all Christ Jesus. And so we have to find joy in the fact that God, or excuse me, Christ Jesus has given us this ministry, and because it makes him happy, it makes us happy. Not only find joy in him, but we find, find joy in the ministry he's given us because it makes our king happy. Over and over, what you find in Scripture at the beginning of books that Paul writes is this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is 1 Timothy, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Paul's like, I didn't call myself into this ministry. Now, you remember the really dramatic way in which Paul came into the ministry, right? He was on, a, on the road to Damascus, and there Jesus Christ himself appears to him. He falls off his horse. People go blind. People don't know what's going on, or Paul goes blind. Other people don't know what's going on. They're confused. And it's there that Paul comes to Jesus Christ. And so his, his calling, he tells him, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you all the things you're going to suffer for my namesake. That's not a good job description anyway, is it? I mean, can you imagine that? And you're like, okay, I'd like to apply for this job. Okay, just so you know, this is going to be the worst job you've ever had in, in your life as far as like difficult. It's going to be the most difficult. It's going to be uh, uh, times when people are trying to hurt you and attack you, and you're like, wait a minute, what, is, what am I getting into? But Paul knew that from the very outset. This is the ministry that I've been called to. But he says this, I've been called, this is a mission that was given to me. I didn't come up with it, he gave it to me. Now listen, wherever God puts you in service, keep this in mind, you're not doing it for you primarily. You're not doing it even for others primarily. You're doing it because your king has called you to do it. And that's pretty exciting. And our motivation has to be, Lord, I didn't call myself into this. But you called me. So, Lord, my joy is in your joy. It, it brought you joy to call me to do this. It brings you joy when I do what you called me to do. And that is how I get joy. I get joy from knowing that the king has called me to do something, and it makes him happy that I do it. Really, ministry is not just a cross to bear, but it's a privilege to fulfill. Ephesians 1.1, Paul says he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is God's will. So that in 2 Timothy 4, he could say, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but all those who love his appearing. He says, man, I'm, my life is being poured out. I mean, literally, he, through uh, persecution and through the hardships and the trials that he endured, he is harming his body. He is harming himself. Now, spiritually, he said, man, I am stronger than ever spiritually, but my body is growing weaker by the day because of all that he endured. And if you go through and see the list of things that he endured, his body were, was punished by the ministry that God called him to. But what does he say? Listen, I, I, my goal is just to fight until I'm dead, to run until the race is over, because I know that God will give me what my soul has longed for 
complete righteousness in Jesus Christ on that day and for everyone who loves his appearing. So find joy in that Christ has called us to this thing. And it's not a waste of your life. It is a life well spent. You know, for a, for a, a while, uh, there was a popular saying going around. You would see it on T-shirts and all over the place. And it's like, it said, I didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose me. Remember that? <laughs> I didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose me. And it was kind of a thing uh, uh, rappers would say, you know, like, I didn't choose this life. It chose me. And there is a sense in which we say, you know, we didn't choose this life. We were chosen. <laughs> we didn't choose this ministry. It was chosen for us. And here's the thing is, that's what brings us joy. I can get up and I can get up in the morning and, and whatever ministry that you're, you're doing. And listen, you can even look at this uh, like marriage, the marriage you're in. <laughs> the, the child training is like, man, alive, why do my kids have to, have to be this bad? I always think of uh, uh, George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life when he says to his wife, why do we have to have all these kids anyway? <laughs> There's a few times in my life I was like, why do we have to have all these kids anyway? You know, you, you kind of feel that. And, and you realize, but that's part of what God has called you to, the family you're in and the, and the challenges you're at work and the relationships as, as difficult as they can be at times and the church you're in. And all these things are part of God's plan. And we find joy in saying, God, you put me here for a reason. I didn't call myself. You called me. And so I'm going to be excited and find joy in what you've called me to, which brings us to our last point. We should serve with joy. This is where the rubber meets the road, <laughs> Uh, we serve because we find joy in the grace of the gospel. The gospel story is amazing, and we have so much joy in it that it just effervescently flows out of our lives and into the lives of other people. That's what ministry is, is your joy in the gospel spilling out into other people's lives. It really is. But not that we find joy in the fact that the king called us to this mission, and as we fulfill it, it brings him joy. I mean, what could be better than just Knowing that there's a smile on the face of our Lord, though we've not, we don't do it perfectly, not, not at all, but we give, our, we give our whole heart by faith to trusting in Jesus Christ to work in us and through us for his glory. And we say, Lord, I'm not much, but God, whatever I am, it's all about you. And that flows, and it bring, that flows out of our lives. It brings joy to our king. That means we ought to have real joy in ministry. There's this old joke, and, it was, and I'll explain it in a minute. An old joke the pastors would sometimes say. They'd say, um, man, ministry would be really great if it weren't for people. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound right. You're right, it's not. It's a way of reminding ourselves that the ministry is people. And that's what we'd always say. Oh, ministry would be great if it wasn't for people, but the ministry is people. Because we forget that sometimes. We look at all the, the to-do list and all the things we have to do, and we say, oh, man, it's so difficult sometimes. And sometimes you got, man, this is what I want to do, but man, people are just getting in the way. No, people are the ministry. They're not in the way. They're, they're what you're, they're the job description. It's not like, Lord, I want to serve you, but all these people get in my way. No, that's how we're serving Christ is through people. And the fact is, is sometimes we can get focused on the wrong thing, and so it begins to steal our joy. So we go through the motions. I, let me say this about myself, and, I, and I'm not proud of this. I'm ashamed of this. There were Periods of time were for weeks at a time. Maybe even at times months at a time. I was not happy serving. Because it was always like, well, Lord, why don't you do this? And what about this? And why does, that have to per why does that person have to be so difficult? And why does this have to happen? And why can't I? And you look at all these things and realize 
this is ministry. This is what it looks like. It's hard. It's difficult. But there's a, 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 a king who's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with joy so that we serve and we're spreading joy to others. And it doesn't mean it's always comfortable for me. It doesn't mean it's always easy happiness for me or for anyone who serves. That's what I say. Hey, if you want to get in ministry, just expect it's going to be difficult. But here's the thing is, it's not about your comfort. It's about the king's glory. And it's about joy being spread to other people. And here's the amazing thing is there's times when you're like, I've had youth that I, uh, I served many years ago that later on I get, you know, I'm thinking, oh, man, that kid is just, I think they hate my guts. And their parents hate their guts, so they get home and they, and they hate my guts together. <laughs> I say, well, at least, at least I'm creating family moments, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they all hate me. There's something they can all agree on. And you think, God, why? Why am I even doing this? And then it's years later sometimes you find out. They're like, hey, I want you to know I'm still in church. I know I gave you all. I've actually had teens say, I'm sorry I gave you a hard time. But, but what God was doing in my life, sometimes my anger toward you is because God was working. And I was, I was mad. I didn't want that work. He goes, but I'm in church today. Not because of you, Jeremy. And that's, they're not in church because of me. They're in church because not just one person, but many people in their lives didn't give up. They didn't make it about their own happiness. Well, you know, if I'm not going to be appreciated around here, uh, I'm just getting out of here. They say, no, no, it's not about me. It's about Christ the King, and it's about people. And so I'm just going to serve, and they may hate my guts, but maybe, maybe God in all his mercy and grace can use uh, an idiot like me to do something good in someone else's life. And then he does, and then you're always overwhelmed. And so it's, there has to be joy in ministry. And, and, and here's the problem is, is sometimes when we don't have that joy and people see that we're serving but we're, we're, we don't have joy, they wonder, why do you do it? And why would anyone else want to do it if you don't have joy? So what am I trying to say is, I'm trying to say this. If joy is missing in your ministry, if joy is miss, missing in your spiritual life, go back to Christ. Don't be okay with it. Say, this is not all right. It was so important, Jesus said, I will shut down your church if you don't get that joy back. Oh, and, and he says, keep your first love. The idea is the love you have for Christ in that relationship. So love in that relationship with Christ is what brings joy, and joy empowers ministry. Can I say that? It, it becomes the, the power, the engine for ministry. If it's not, let me just tell you something you'll end up turning more people away from Jesus than you'll ever turn toward Jesus. And the fact is that sometimes you have to have people around you, and I've had people who had to tell me, Jeremy, it doesn't seem like serving other people is bringing you joy anymore. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't. Because people, and they're like, the problem isn't the people, the problem is you. The problem is your heart. Why do you do what you do? And I had to I had to face that uncomfortable fact that I was doing it because I, I was like, well, I have to do it. Or I'm doing it because maybe something good will come out of it down the line. It's not like, can you just do it for pure joy in Jesus Christ? He's going to fill your heart with gospel joy. You're going to see the joy that Christ takes in people ministering to his people because he loves his people. And then you're just going to find joy in that. And you're going to go back to the fountain of joy. And you're going to drink deeply. And you're going to drink. And over and over, going to keep on drinking out of that fountain of joy. And you realize there is no way to minister other than that because you won't last 
or you're turning more people away when they say, if that's what serving Jesus looks like, give me none of it. And so, let me just uh, make a, a few observations as we close. Oh, there's all kinds of passion I've heard. L- listen to what Paul says. What is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown rejoicing? Is it not even you? He found joy in people. For you are our glory and joy. What God is doing in your life brings me so much joy. Philippians, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making request with all with joy. Paul's like, I love your, Christ, I love you and I love your people. And it's for joy. 3 John 4, it wasn't just Paul. Look at John. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. It brought him tremendous gospel joy. Let me tell you, that is a person whose heart is filled with gospel joy. They then are rejoicing at other people experiencing joy in Jesus. So let me just go back to Revelation 2. Remember from where you've fallen. Think about where you're at and realize it's not okay. Look at your, the loss of your love over time. Look at it. He says, repent. Don't be okay with it. Say, God, something is desperately wrong with my heart. I can't continue like this. I'm making my wife miserable. I'm making my kids miserable. I'm making other people around me, people at my work miserable. Lord, I need gospel joy. And then renew. What does he say? Go back to your first love. Go back to the love that you used to have and just say, Lord, this is what's going to happen. By your grace, whenever I feel like I'm starting to lose that joy in Jesus, that deep love I had in that relationship, I'm going to remember this isn't how it's supposed to be. I'm going to repent and say, God, I'm sorry I've allowed this to continue without, without doing something to get back to that place where I know I should be. And then you go back. And here's the thing is, is as you continue to grow in your faith, you're going to get to levels of spiritual um, understanding of Jesus Christ and relationship with Jesus Christ. And you start to fall. You say, nope, it's not good enough. Then you go to the next level. You start to fall back. Nope, 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 nope. I can't, I, I will not tolerate not having a close relationship with Christ. And you go on. And you keep on building. It's not like here, you go all the way to here, and so you have to start all over again. Or you have to go way back into the past to some kind of love you had in the past. No. It's simply saying this, I realize where I'm going spiritually. It's not good. Lord, it's not good enough. I'm coming back to Christ. I'm going to run. I'm going to get my cup filled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, part of the reason why I preach this message is because I have to remind myself. I have to constantly remind myself. Because I do have a perverse ability to just be okay with status quo. I I can feel my heart drifting backwards and just say, "Eh, you know, I'm still getting stuff done. And God, that's never okay. Lord, we can do that in our relationships. We can say, I know I don't have a Christ-centered relationship with my wife. Things are not going so well, but eh, it could be worse. Lord, I, I know I'm not where I am should be in my relationship with you so that I can train my children with the spirit of Christ, the spirit of love and grace and mercy. I, I can put you first because I'm so often more concerned about, you know, how hard my day has been. And so I don't want the kids to bother me. And we, we can get to the point where we say, that's not okay. Lord, it has to be 
flowing from my relationship with you. So they see my gospel joy and the joy you fill my heart with flows out into my kid's life and they want to serve Jesus because of gospel joy. It's, Lord, we know it's not enough from a revelation to just be a, against a bunch of things and just do a bunch of things that are good. But to have a love that is constantly growing and therefore constantly flowing out into the lives of others. Lord, that's what we need. But it, it's, God, I pray that your spirit, whenever we just get weary and we say, Lord, I don't even know if I can get up to go get another cup of grace, that we would not, we'd say, no, my relationship with Christ is what he wants is joy in him. And so I'm just going to say, Lord, I, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm just going to fall forward if I have to, but I'm going to reach out for Jesus and watch the spirit of God draw you in. And watch him fill your cup over and over and over. Whenever it never gets empty, and when it does, he pulls you back to the fountain. So, Lord, help us to serve this way in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I just have two things. Uh, for the deacons, um, I need to see you before you leave. Um, I hope everyone had an awesome Thanksgiving. I had a chance to talk to some of you and hear your stories of being together with family. That makes me, brings me so much joy. I'm so happy. Pray that maybe during this holiday season, God would give you a chance to share the hope you have in Christ and the joy you have in Christ with somebody else. Wouldn't that be amazing to see someone come in to really understand the meaning of Christmas through joy in Jesus? We're dismissed. Have an awesome day. Again, if you're a leader, you need...